Good morning. That's a big promise. That even if you're drowning in a pool of being overwhelmed, there is hope. Uh, so good, good to see you. Uh, really, actually, great to see you um, on this morning. You know, a week ago, the extended forecast said today was going to be snowing. And I was praying hard for that, and it <laughs> did not come true. Um, so we'll get it here pretty soon. We'll finally get some snow. Uh, my name is Bob. If we, uh, in case we have never met, um, if you've got a Bible with you, or even if it's on your phone, if you want to get to Philippians chapter 2, that's where we're going to be hanging out this morning. And because we're going to be hanging out in the book or letter of Philippians, I thought it would be fitting for us to start off by praying Paul's prayer that shows up in chapter 1. So let's pray Paul's prayer. Uh, Lord, it is our prayer that your love would, or that our love, that you would help us and that our love would abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that we may approve what is excellent and so we may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through your Son, Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, today we're in a final week of a series called Overwhelmed. Um, We've been uh, doing this series for a little while, and today we're going to talk about my arch nemesis, uh, the, the mother of all overwhelming topics, the, the thing, the glue that binds all overwhelming things together, and we're going to talk about the overwhelming reality of people. Uh, <laughs> people are by far the, the most overwhelming thing this earth has ever seen. There's nothing more overwhelming than a human, especially uh, what the, the group of humans the government calls your kids. Like there is nothing as overwhelming um, as humans. So you're probably overwhelmed just looking around and realizing that you are surrounded right now by humans. It's actually why, partly why I like coming up here is because it creates a little bit of separation from all the humans um, that are in this room. Um, humans to me as a uh, to the core introvert have always been, since I was born, have always been just this overwhelming uh, force in my life. So Jake said, hey, buddy, why don't you go ahead and talk about people um, and, and talk about how overwhelming they can be? And I said, I'm your man. Uh, so that's what we're going to talk about today. The, the idea is uh, there is basically a cosmic math equation happening all around us all the time. Uh, so when you think about over, something being overwhelmed, this is what's playing out in our days all the time. You've got an ambition. A goal. It can be a good goal. It can be a bad goal. It's just, it's just a goal. You have an ambition. Uh, so it's your ambition. This is the math equation. Your ambition divided by their ambition. Whoever they're, they are, right? And, and it doesn't really matter. So your ambition divided by someone else's ambition equals you overwhelmed. So here's an example of this. Uh, in finances, we've talked about this. I have an ambition in our home of us making more money than we spend. That is my ambition on this side of the math equation. I have four kids. It is their ambition to eat every single day, multiple times a day. Not only do they want to eat, because that's actually super reasonable, but they want to pour the giant bowl of cereal, dump the whole gallon of milk in there, eat three bites, and throw most of it away. 
every single morning drives me absolutely insane. So they do that. That's like a, a small piece of what they do, but they do that in a hundred other things. So my ambition, make more money than we spend. Their ambition, eat more money than you make, which equals me being financially overwhelmed. Uh, and there are a thousand other situations that happens. You could think about your pace, which we've talked about. You have an ambition to have a quiet evening with your family, but your boss has an ambition that you are going to get this done ASAP by tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. by the time he's up and ready to go. So your ambition divided by his ambition means you are overwhelmed because your family wants time with you, your boss wants time from you, and so your mind explodes, you're overwhelmed because it's, there's um, these competing issues. Just a, a, another small example. The other morning, it was about a week ago, I wake up uh, and I've got this ambition. I've got this goal. Uh, I finally, I wake up right when my alarm goes off. I walk out uh, into the tundra because I have our thermostat turned so low. Uh, so I walk out there with my parka on uh, and I get all the conditions set just right. The coffee's brewing. The kids are going to be asleep for like another hour and a half. I sit down, I open my Bible right here to Psalm 24, that's just where I'm at, and I read, the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. And then all of a sudden, I hear this, this eerie sound in the background, and I put my hand on my pistol, and, uh, and I look back. That's not, part's not true. Um, uh, but I look back, and this is what I see. I look in the baby monitor. I look in our baby video monitor. And to my horror, I mean, it's like five in the morning. To my horror, I see Johnny, our nine-month-old, trying to attack the video monitor that he can now reach. And then eventually, I'm like, oh, I'll just ignore him. He'll go back to sleep. He'll lay himself back down and go back to sleep. And then he tries to eat the monitor. And that's a choking hazard. And so what happens? I have an ambition to spend some time with the Lord himself. But he has this ambition to spend some quality time with Dad. Um, and what happens, I literally, in that moment, I feel, I feel overwhelmed, to be honest, because this is one small piece of what is going to happen a thousand times for the rest of the day, and I just tried to get going with a little bit of time to myself. So if this was all that happened in my life, obviously stop complaining, get over yourself. But the, all the rest of the kids are about to wake up, and then I'm going to try to go to work, and I'm going to sit in a line of cars, 500 cars long, just to go two miles. It's going to take me 20 minutes to get there, and then I get to work, and people are going to be overwhelming. I'm going to get home, and the kids are going to be overwhelmed. Like, it's just the way we live our life. People are everywhere, and they can be quite overwhelming. And to, to me, when I was thinking about the reason for this overwhelming reality, it all comes down to that word ambition. It comes down to that word ambition. Because the, the, the place where you feel overwhelmed, I think, anyway, consider this, see if you agree, is it's the place where your ambition is at odds with someone else's. Try to think of another time where you're overwhelmed and see if those two realities aren't there. I am never overwhelmed when my wife's goals perfectly align with my goals. Oh, I'm so overwhelmed. Ruth's goals just completely align with mine. and We're all on the same page trying to accomplish the same things. It's so overwhelming. Uh, it's never the case. It's always when you've got something, even if it's good, but there's something that's trying to uh, come against it. So here's the reality that I'm going to try to paint, and then we're going to talk through it through Philippians. It's we are overwhelmed by people because they interfere with our ambitions. I think that's the reality we're fighting. 
And I wrestled hard with why in the world um, is this a reality? I think that's it. We're overwhelmed by people because they interfere with our ambitions. So that led me to the, the letter uh, called Philippians. And that word, ambition, shows up big and, and huge in this letter. Uh, and that's why, why we're going to park there. So let's start with the background of Philippians. I want you to know about this book, Philippians, because it's, it's actually um, amazing. So the author of Philippians, who is it? It's Paul. Yeah. Is it Paul? Peter, maybe? Paul. Um, Paul wrote the book of uh, Philippians. It's actually a letter. He wrote it to a, uh, a Roman colony called Philippi. Um, I don't, I'm no Bible scholar. My understanding is Philippi was in what present day would be Turkey. Um, uh, he wrote the, the letter to the Philippians from prison. So Paul was in prison multiple times. This dude lived an overwhelming uh, sort of life, overwhelmed by people, overwhelmed by pace, overwhelmed by circumstances. But when he wrote the book of Philippians, he wrote it from prison. If you read through chapter one, you're gonna see references to that. Um, when I was reading the smart people, uh, the commentators and stuff on this, they're saying that he probably wrote it from prison in Rome. He was imprisoned in Rome twice. The first time you can read about in the book of Acts, he was under house arrest while he was in Rome. So let's, let's say that he wrote it from that imprisonment in Rome. Um, that means he's been imprisoned for at least two years when he writes this because immediately before sailing to Rome to be under house arrest there, he's in prison in Caesarea um, for two years there for trying to spread the gospel in Jerusalem, and that made a lot of people very angry. So he wrote this from prison in Rome, most likely, and that was completely like prison today, where it's you know three hot meals and a nice warm bed to sleep. Prison back then was absolutely different than that. You were basically put in a, a, a extreme circumstances, and you had to fend for yourself. If you were going to be fed, it's because outside people usually were going to bring you food. If you were going to have any resources, it's because outside people were going to actually bring you finances, things to, to, uh, to survive while you're in prison. It's not like they just um, took care of you like they do um, in the United States uh, today. So he was imprisoned for two years in Rome, most likely, and he writes this letter to the church of Philippi in order to do two things. He writes to thank them because they had sent uh, resources, they had sent money, um, and they had also sent a disciple named Epaphroditus um, to help him and to, uh, to be an assistance to him. So he wrote this letter to say, hey, thank you for doing that. I'm sending Epaphroditus uh, back to you, and also thanks for the gift. And then the second reason he uh, wrote the letter of Philipp or to the Philippians was to exhort them, was to teach them, and was to, to encourage them because he had apparently had heard that there was some disunity. The people in the church were having a hard time uh, with one another. So even from his place in prison, overwhelming circumstances, he, he writes this letter to the um, Philippians. So let's start. We'll be in chapter 2, and I'll read verses 3 and 4, and we'll kind of work through those two verses first. So it says... Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So verse three, let's, um, we'll kind of go line by line here. Uh, do nothing from selfish ambition. 
what is he saying there? It's, it's, I love actually the clarity. That could be the main, the, the, the point itself. I don't have to draw really any other conclusions. It's self-explanatory. Do nothing from self-centered motives. If the motive or ambition flows from you and you alone, he's saying, then push it aside. Don't do that. That is no longer your motive. Everything you do should be done, if you put it positively, should be done not because of you, but because of other people. Do nothing out of selfish or from selfish ambition. Here's the reality. Everything that we do in life has a hidden agenda behind it, guaranteed. So if I'm at work, uh, and my boss, I'm, a, I'm the operations director at a small nonprofit in Kirkland. If my boss says, hey, I need you to provide, um, we have these major contracts, right, with, uh, with funding partners. One of them is the USO, awesome partner. One of the things they want is data from all the events that we do for them. We do a couple hundred events a year. They want all this data so that they can um, analyze how good things are going and they can show their donors um, how much our program is, is helping soldiers because that's what we do. So, uh, so my job is to, do, to take all the data and then display it in a way that is useful to them and actually looks good. So in my, my job should be to make our, uh, our organization efficient and to get the job done and ultimately further our, um, our mission to serve soldiers. Um, but really what happens, even though that's there, that's you know 60% of what I'm trying to do is just serve and stuff like that. If I were to be honest with you, Every time my boss says, hey, I need this from you, I need you to, dis, you know, to show the USO this data or whatever, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh, game on. I'll show you data like you've never seen data because I am the data master. I will build you, I'll build you dashboards that are live because they're used to getting a monthly. And I'll be like, no, they will be delivered in real time. You will always be able to open this dashboard and see the latest data because internally there is a hidden agenda, a hidden ambition, and it's, I'm going to make Bob look awesome. Um, let's just be straight. That's what's happening. I'm like, I can serve soldiers, and in my job, I can spend the extra hours and stuff to make it look like I am a genius, and I will fool everybody because I understand a couple programs I can do this um, on my behalf. Everything we do, um, there is an opportunity to do like the actual goal, and then there's always some hidden agenda where you can add layers to it. Even me getting up um, and, and helping the kiddos in the morning uh, when I hear the baby monitor being eaten. Um, it's a good thing, and it should be done. In my eyes, the, the, let's just be straight. In my eyes, husbands should be the ones getting up and doing that. Rock and roll, mama's tired, you get up, you take care of the baby. That's just the way I see it, right? But let's be super honest. That's about 60% of what I'm doing there, right? 40% hidden agenda, most likely. I don't even know if I could name that hidden agenda, but it's me saying, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna knuckle through it and I'm gonna do the right thing. I'm gonna try to make her say, he did it. He got up early, he took care of the baby. Um, that's because everything we do has at least the threat of having uh, a hidden agenda. But what he's saying here is do nothing from selfish ambition uh, nothing that, that flows out of self-centered agenda, right? So, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition nor conceit. But, let's keep going. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. 
So that word humility, again, reading the smart, the smart people who know Greek and things like that, they said the word humility is actually lowliness. Lowliness. Not, it's the same thing as humility, but they said that the, the New Testament basically coined a new phrase back then, this idea of lowliness, in order to uh, get across this point of um, it's something even kind of more raw than humility, right? It's this idea of almost like servitude. Back in this time, when this was written, it's, it was completely unlike today. Today, humility is a virtue. It's almost a universal virtue. If, even if you're amongst people who don't follow Jesus at all, they're not into the Bible, things like that, if you talk about how humble someone is, it's still a really good thing. Not so back in this time, in pagan antiquity, right, in the first century. Back then, the air they breathed was completely different than us. Um, I've just been reading this really fascinating history book about um, pagan culture and the Roman and Hellenism and all this different, the, that whole world. And it said that today, the, the dominating uh, idea, the factor that's over all of us, even if we don't realize it, especially in America, is the word individualism. That is sacred to us, especially as Americans. Individual. If you mess with my my self, um, de- you know, designation, my self-worth, my self-identity, any of that stuff, that is like the, the mother of all um, bad things, whatever word that should be. Uh, that is bad. But back then, the air they breathed, the same way we breathe individualism, the air they breathed was dominance. That's what they understood. They understood that the, the Caesar, whoever had conquered he was the one in charge. They understood that the governor that that Caesar put in charge over you, he was the one you had to pay tribute to. He was the one you had to respect. In a lot of ways, Caesar was even the one you had to worship. They understood um, that the person in power you, whether they were your employer or your father or whatever it might be, they understood dominance and you fell in line with that. That was the air they breathed. It was like a hierarchy and that's the life um, that they lived. It's the thing that they understood. So when Paul says, in lowliness, consider others more significant than yourselves, it would have had like a certain uh, factor to it, like kind of like, whoa, pump the brakes, you know, kind of screeching halt. What are you talking about? It would be the same as today saying, in servitude, because we don't understand that, in servitude, count others as more important uh, than yourselves. It was a derogatory um, term. So what he's saying is amongst Jesus followers, amongst the church, church of Philippians, um, and through the ages, that's just not the case with us. The beggar, the grocer at Safeway is on level ground with the general manager who is on level ground with the CEO in some corporate office. That's just the way this has happened. That's just the way the church is. Um, is basically what he's saying. So do nothing from selfish ambition, nor conceit, in lowliness and humility, count others more significant than yourselves. How would this play out during the holidays? All right, so that's the season we're in. If we get practical, how would this actually play out in the holidays? I think uh, this is my temptation. My temptation is to um, idolize the ideal, Right there, like Garrett said in a, a meeting, there's just a certain nostalgia to this whole season, and we try to bring that up to the pinnacle. And really, we want everything. We want that nostalgia to be realized 
to its maximum. We want to, to maximize everything. Our lights were up the day after Thanksgiving because that's the season you're allowed to do it. We're going to maximize it. We're going to take, take it down Christmas e- or uh, New Year's Eve. Like We're going to maximize this season. That's just what we try to do. We try to uh, idolize the ideal. So um, how would this play out during the holidays? Let's say it's Christmas Day and you're with that crazy aunt or uncle. We all have them um, that we'll be spending time with. And they want to talk about the most random things. They want to talk about uh, the weird medical procedure that they've had in the last year since you've seen them, because you haven't seen them since Christmas last year, most likely. And you're thinking to yourself, dear Lord, this is the last thing I want to talk about on Christmas. Get me out of here. I want to go talk to someone who's normal, which there is no one at this gathering. I want to go to someone else's house. Uh, When that happens... I think the way you live this out, it's the small things. Following Jesus is always about the small things. When that happens, you push your ambition aside and you say, you know what? I'm going to go with it. Uncle whoever wants to talk about his whatever, okay. Like, I'm going to actually, I'm just going to empty myself of my agenda and my ambition and we're going to roll with it and see where this thing goes. We're going to roll with the punches Um, on this one. You've got the crazy in-law, most likely, who has a very specific way that you should be uh, cooking the turkey or whatever other dish. Let's just just slow down for a second and realize that no matter how you cook the turkey, it is not going to taste good. It's turkey. It was never designed to taste good. It's a bird. Uh, So maybe you should just pump the brakes and say, you know what? In humility... I am going to see my crazy in-law or whoever might be standing in front of me. I'm just not going to hold this. Um, I'm not going to make a big deal. During the holidays, another thing is, uh, this is how it plays out for me. My kiddos will be opening presents, and I will be watching them like a hawk. Because if grandma gave you a sweater, six-year-old, you better say, thank you for the sweater. I'll wear it every day of my life. Thank you, grandmother. But if he doesn't, the real problem, the hidden agenda that's happening with me is if he doesn't say that, and he doesn't sound like that, it reflects poorly on me, and it reflects poorly on my fathering um, in front of grandmother, uh, who's 81 years old and deserves respect, you know? And so what do I do? I scold him with my eyes and tell him, you say thank you, and all this different stuff. Maybe, all I'm saying is it plays out a thousand different ways for you. All I'm saying is during the holidays, when you're there with your family, If there is some sort of hidden agenda, you've got to search that thing out and you've got to push it aside. And you've just just got to let let this stuff play out. Um, Push your agenda aside and consider others as more significant than yourselves and more significant than your agenda. My whole point this morning really is follow Jesus doing nothing from selfish ambition. Follow Jesus doing nothing from selfish ambition. The the verse keeps going. Uh, Verse 4 says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Uh, Again, I don't know Greek. I wish I did, but I don't. Um, But reading the smart people, they said that that word interests actually isn't there. It shows up in the ESV, the version that I'm, I'm reading from. It shows up twice but it's actually not there. It's a filler word that the translators put so that the sentence makes more sense to us. But the way it should actually read, I'm I'm told, is let each of you look not only to his own, but to the others, but also to the others. 
And, and he, the author of that, said, what, what's really going on there is you should be filling in that word with all the different topics that, that come into light on this. So let each of you look not only to your own finances, but to the finances of others. It's, it's meant to be open-ended. Whatever you're looking to your own of, you should be looking to the others of, if that makes sense, as you follow Jesus. So don't look only to your own finances. Look to the finances of others. Don't look only to your property, but to the property of others. Not only to your own family, but to their family. Not only to your comfort, but to their comfort. Your health, to their health. It's the, what he's saying is basically what Jesus said. Love others as you love to the same degree as you love yourself. Paul is um, saying the exact same thing um, in a different way. Don't only think about your reputation, but in the same exact way, with the same amount of energy and with the same amount of passion, look towards their reputation. If you, if you have a job, don't just look at your promotion and your status at work. Don't only try to create the best dashboard. How stupid is that? But the best da- dashboard in the world for your own sake, but look also to the promotion and the, uh, the well-being at work of those who are around you. That's the kind of attitude that he's saying we've got to have as we follow Jesus. Do nothing from selfish ambition, but in uh, humility count others more significant. Let each of you look not only to your own, but also to the others around you. So you can see, you can see my agenda in this, right? If you ask the question, I am, I'm overwhelmed by people, what do I do? What is the, like the video um, produced? If you think my answer to this morning is going to be, well, here are six happy claps to get it so that you're no longer overwhelmed by people. Just six happy holiday steps so that you don't have to feel uh, overwhelmed by people. I'm just, I can't take you there. Because follow, honestly, I'm just being straight with you, following Jesus won't take you there. It's actually been really eye-opening for me as I was searching for a, a passage to talk about this. In all, in all of this, this whole, the whole New Testament, I couldn't find anything that was like that. It all kept coming back to this idea of if you're overwhelmed by people, it's probably because you have an ambition. And what's the answer? What's the hope? Pour yourself out for them. Pour yourself out. Follow Jesus and pour yourself out um, for others. Now here's the, but here's the thing. All of this just sounds like religion. It just sounds like rules. Like, all right, let's pull up our uh, boots and let's just get this thing done. It's going to be hard and it's going to suck, but we're going to get it done. Like that's what it kind of sounds like, but that's not the case at all because the passage keeps going and he actually talks about the fuel behind this. The reason that you can do this um, is not because, hey, you should just be trying harder, but he actually goes into um, what, again, the smart, the commentators say is a hymn of the New Testament church. Either Paul wrote this hymn or he is just quoting this hymn, but he says, Here, here's how you do all of this that we're talking about, and it get, goes to verse five. It says, and I'm just basically gonna read it straight because it's a, it's a song, basically. It says, um, verse five, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. So here's the mind you should have And this mind is yours if you follow Jesus. If you put your faith in him, he gives you a new mind and you've lived from that new mind, that new attitude, and this is what it looks like. Uh, Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, 
did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What that means is in the form of God, in the Greek, it's talking about the essence um, of who Jesus is. So even though he, in essence, at his very core, his nature is God, he did not count equality with God something to be held onto. He actually considered it something to be held with an open hand for the, for the benefit of, of others. Um, verse 7, but instead, God himself, in Jesus, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to, even to the point of death, death on a cross. So for me, if I've got an ambition and someone else is undercutting it, the distance between those two things is, is super small, right? Like if my... If I want to read and pray and just spend the morning drinking some coffee and the baby wants to hang out, that is like on the scale of things that are a big deal, it's a, it's a zero. Like it's actually kind of pleasant to hang out with a nine-month-old baby, let's be honest. Um, so there, in our world, in order for us to serve others, we are not stooping very low. I hope that, that's what I'm really trying to say. It's us taking one step to try to help others. But when God... The, like what this is saying, is the, the creator of the universe, if you think of all the stars, there are billions of stars, they say, those were spoken into existence through a couple sentences when he said, let there be light, and then the universe just was. So when God himself decides, I am going to, instead of serving my own purposes alone and my own ambitions, I am going to become a person, I'm going to empty myself and take the form of a servant, the distance between that is unfathomable. So when, when he says, hey, this is the mind that we have, it's the mind of God that would empty himself out to become a man, so you do likewise, it usually just requires something really, really small um, on our part in order to be actually living in the same stream, the same vein that, that God himself did when he became a man and served us. Um, so verse 9, therefore, God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Again, that was a hymn that they sang, and he is saying, in all of this stuff, if you're overwhelmed by people, what you need to do is you need to look to Jesus and you need to follow him. You need to actually be transformed by him and he will give you his mind. Have this mind among yourselves which was in Jesus and that's what produces someone who can follow Jesus uh, and do nothing from selfish um, ambition. So like, let's just get practical for a minute. How does this actually play out? Like, What sort of person does this create? I just said it, that it creates a person who does nothing from selfish ambition, for one. It just makes you look at the world differently. When you remember what, what God has done for you in Christ, and you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, it makes other people and your, all of your relationships uh, change. I've had times um, in my family with my wife and my kids where I thought to myself, how dare they treat me like this? Like my kids, all the time, I... I get like fired up when I have to tell them for the 500th time to shush, the baby's sleeping. 
Like, that's something that just should be a recording that I hit a button at this point. Shush, the baby's sleeping. Like a toy. Um, I get fired up because I've said it so many times, and they totally disregard me. And you know what's been popping in my mind lately now that I've been thinking about this? Is, my Lord, how many times have you told me to do something, and I've completely disobeyed you, and I never sense, not even reading the scriptures, that that's, how, that's your posture towards me. Shush, the baby's sleeping. I don't sense that. from. Instead, it's, no, God so loved the world that he sent his son to die for it. Like, even though what you did was so much worse than that, this is his posture towards you. Knowing the gospel and following Jesus actually transforms how you think about other people. When you realize what Jesus has done for you and you follow him, it actually transforms how you think about other people, especially people who are paying no attention to you and who are ignoring you and who are, their ambition goes against your ambition. It actually gives you like this pool inside of you of grace to say, yeah, that grace was shown to me on a much larger scale. It's actually not a big deal for me to show you that grace and pour myself out for you right now and to just write this off and to forgive you and just in humility count you as more important than myself because God himself did that for me. I hope that, I hope that makes sense. So, so how does this practically pay out or play out? Consider just for a moment Paul himself, if you've read about him. His ambition, uh, if you read in uh, Romans 15, 20, that word pops up again, ambition. He says, my ambition is to make Christ known wherever he is not known. That is Paul's ambition. It's, it's the end of the line for him. That is his only ambition is what he claims. My ambition is to make Christ known where he's not known. So with that in mind and with what he said, uh, if you read through his life, basically what happens is the world tells him, well, if that's the case, then we'll kill you. Like that's threatened to him so many times. And what does he say in Philippians? Well, to live is Christ and to die is gain. They say, well, we'll imprison you. And he says, oh, okay, that's actually a good idea because I will convert every one of your guards. And he does. He talks about it in Philippians. They say, we will beat you with rods. And it happens in the town of Philippi. You can read about an Acts, the church that's planted. He will beat you with rods. And they do. And he says, that's a pretty good idea because I will rejoice that I'm worthy to suffer for the name above all names, and then I'll plant a church in your town. And they seem like, well, then I'm going to put you on trial in front of Caesar, the, the, the ruler of the whole empire. And he's like, huh, that's a good idea. I've been meaning to talk to him about Jesus. Like, you can't slow the guy down. As soon as you have this ambition, you become like this unstoppable. Like, there's nothing that overwhelms Paul necessarily because to him, every situation is just a situation where I get to talk about Jesus. I get, to, I get to love people. I get to pour myself out for people. It creates in you someone who's able to just pour yourself out. That's the whole point of this. So to land the plane, we are overwhelmed by people because they interfere with our ambitions. And I think what Philippians is pointing to is a way to not be overwhelmed by people is to actually push aside your ambitions on their behalf to gladly pour yourself out for people. I think that is actually the answer. It's to follow Jesus, doing nothing from selfish ambition, and that will actually make it so not only the holidays, but your life is just less overwhelming and it's sweeter, and what do you get in the end? You get Jesus. You get to be with him. You get to follow him. You actually get to feel legitimate, like I'm, I'm actually following Jesus. I'm pouring myself out like he did. So with that, what I'd like to do is I would like to, uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're actually going to keep worshiping. So the band can uh, head on up. Uh, 
as they come up, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just read a blessing, even though we're not done. I'm, I'm gonna read a blessing that I wrote um, over you that, that you, that this is kind of the life that we might live as we enter the holidays. But also know this, um, there are four different stations um, around this room. This is a response service. We do this every once in a while. And so I just want to point out your options as we have, we have, let's just be straight. We have three more songs, some good time for you to just worship the Lord, the name above all other names. And what you're going to see is there's uh, something up here, um, candles. If you've got someone this holiday season that you want to pray for, uh, you just want to lift up to the Lord and you want to represent that by lighting a candle, I would encourage you to come up and do that. Um, as an act of worship, if you want to partake in communion, which is remembering and celebrating the broken blood of Jesus uh, and the poured out blood, there is bread and a cup on both sides. Um, you can grab a piece of bread, represents Jesus' body. You can dip it in the cup, which represents his blood poured out for us, forgiveness of our sins. And then you can partake uh, of that with someone you love. Um, if you brought uh, an offering, those are also on the sides. You're not going to see any buckets passed. And lastly, we've got people in the back who want to pray for you or to pray for someone who's in your life this holidays or for whatever weight is on you right now. They would love to um, say a prayer um, alongside of you. If you don't get up and go back to them, they're going to come find you. Um, that's just the way this is going to roll out. So with that, will you stand? Uh, we'll continue worshiping. I'll read this uh, blessing over you. If you find yourself this holiday season overwhelmed by people, may you be freed from the bondage of your personal preferences and ambitions. May you be empowered to gladly lay down your life, your time, your money for the good of others because you follow Jesus, putting all of your hope in him, forsaking all other ambitions that compete with him. Lord, I pray that you would make that a reality in our life. Uh, we need your help. We need your mind in order to do this. And I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.